Welcome to Heart, Soul, and Mind, the podcast from Centenary United Methodist Church. I'm Dr. Glenn Kinkin, Senior Minister here at Centenary. My hope is that this podcast will give you some good news for your journey today. Scripture lesson this morning comes from Matthew's Gospel, the 25th chapter, verses 31 through 46. Hear with me now the words of the Lord. When the Son of God comes in His glory with all the angels with Him, He will sit on His throne in heavenly glory. All the nations will be gathered before Him, and He will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on His right and the goats on His left. Then the King will say to those on His right, Come, you who are blessed. By my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer the Lord, When did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go visit you? And the king will reply, I tell you the truth, when you did this unto the least of these brothers of mine, you did this for me. And then he would say to those on your left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. And they will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes? or in prison, or sick, and not help you. And he will reply, I tell you the truth. Whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. My brothers and sisters, this is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Almighty and gracious Lord, as we worship and as we praise you this day, I pray that your words would be anchored in our hearts, anchored in such a way that we would be transformed not just into hearers of your word, but doers of your word. In your son's holy name we pray. Amen. When I was in seminary, I had several friends. We sort of had a a bit of an irreverent sense of humor, I guess you would call it. One of them said that when he graduated, he was going to drive down to the beach. and He was going to stop at all of those little roadside tourist traps. And he was going to look for a velvet Elvis and a velvet Jesus. That way that he could hang the the velvet Elvis and the velvet Jesus, he could have the king and the king of kings on his mantelpiece. 
Of course, we all got a good laugh out of it, and to my knowledge, he never did such a thing. But I always think of that story on this day, the day that we call in the liturgical year the Christ the King Sunday, the day that we remember that Christ is the King over all the earth, that he is Lord of lords, King of kings, above us all. What makes this day special for us in the liturgical sense, not only is to celebrate the kingship, the lordship of Jesus Christ, but it's also a reminder that in the sense of the liturgical year, this is the last Sunday of that liturgical year. That we start a new year next week with Advent. So this becomes an exclamation point on all that God has been speaking to us and to our souls this day this whole year, Christ the King, plain and simple. See, what I love about this book, what I love about the Bible is that it's a story of God's deepest love for all creation. I mean, the very beginning, you have God's deep desire for a loving relationship with everything that God created. Remember, God said, it was good at the end of every day of creation. But this deep desire for this relationship with all of the created order, nothing is greater than that relationship that God desires with all of humanity. Where we would trust in God, where we would rely upon God, where we would depend upon God, and in turn reflect that love and that trust and that dependence to each other to our brothers and sisters, to all of humanity, that we would live in such a way that we would reflect God's profound love for us with everyone that we meet. But then we know the rest of the story, too. We know that God gave us free will, that we could choose our own adventure, that we could choose whether we live the way God wanted us to do, or maybe we thought we knew better. And so what we know as we read through the Bible story, as we read through it from Genesis all the way to Revelation, as we read from beginning to end, we realize that we separate ourselves from God because of our own inhumanity, our own unwise decisions, our own choices, that we did that, we separated from God, and in somewhere along the lines we realized that we couldn't do it ourselves that we needed help, and so we said to God, send us someone, show us the way. And God said, but you've got prophets and priests, are you not listening? And they said, no, we need someone to rule over us, we need judges. And when the judges didn't work out because they were flawed humanity as well, we said, send us a king. And they sent the kings, and they also didn't work out because the kings were just like us, humans, broken and sometimes making poor choices as well. So as we cried out, Lord, help us, show us the way we can't do this ourselves, we know the rest of the story, right? God looked down upon humanity with all compassion and said, I will go. I will go amongst them and show them the way. I will send my son 
fully human, fully divine. Understanding our plight, understanding our emotions, our feelings, our temptations, and yet rising above them. And so in today's text, in Matthew's gospel, as he writes these words, what's he writing? He writes, basically, that Jesus is clarifying the purpose, clarifying his mission. What we begin to understand is that Christ is the chosen one, the ruler over all the earth. That the winds still at his voice, that the waters roar or settle upon his words, that disease and pain and death surrender at his feet. But also what the scripture passage comes to is it provides clarity as to what the people are to do, who they are to be. And see, in the uncertainty of today, Christ's words, this passage that we read this morning, provides crystal clear the purpose of our lives, our destiny, our discipleship each and every day. The clarity is simple and straightforward. I think of when I took Miss Hampton's Latin class, we talked about the Caesars, and Julius Caesar had this phrase, Vini, Vidi, Vicky, I came, I saw, I conquered. And it was straightforward how Caesar looked at his rulership of the Roman Empire. But the kingship of Christ has an even simpler, more direct message. We are to come to Christ, we are to go to the world, and we are to do acts of loving kindness. See, in the midst of the turbidity and the turmoil everywhere around us, everywhere that we turn, we are simply and directly called to come to Christ, to go to the world, and to do acts of loving kindness. In verse 34 in today's text, we hear, Come, you who are blessed by God, take your inheritance. Now, we know from the Sermon on the Mount, from the very beginning in Jesus' ministry, in his first big public oration, he teaches the people that blessed are you, the Beatitudes as we know them. And what we begin to realize is that we are all blessed no matter our lot in life. No matter where we are, that we are truly blessed by a God who loves us no matter what. Christ calls us to come to him to receive that blessing. To take our inheritance, salvation by faith alone. And in coming to him, we begin to develop a deepening understanding of our own discipleship an understanding of our own following of Christ. It's not just a simple grace where we say that Christ saves us from our sins. We begin to understand that Wesleyan principle of grace, both provenient grace and justifying grace and sanctifying grace, whereby we realize proveniently that God came to us even before we knew our condition. That God was already paving a way back to God before we even made our first Wrong decision. And then there's justifying grace, 
where Christ stood in the breach for us, where Christ carries our sins to the cross, takes our punishment upon himself so that we might have life eternal. And then in sanctifying grace, we begin to realize that every day that we realize who we are and whose we are and what price has been paid for us, that we seek to live a better life, that the Holy Spirit comes to us, showing us the way. And that sanctifying grace brings us closer and closer and closer to that relationship with God. What John Wesley calls going on to perfection. See, we come not on our own. We come to this idea. We realize that we come to Christ not just by ourselves, but we come in worship. We come in community, in fellowship, in devotion. We come in corporate study and relationships that build us up and bring us closer to the throne of grace. And it's in that moment that we begin to realize this rich inheritance that we have and realize that we are God's blessed children, plain and simple. But then once we have come to the throne of grace and we realize that we are equipped, that we are challenged by faith, that we are convicted by our own shortcomings, but blessed by the love of God, then having that knowledge and that love of depth of grace, then it's evidence of its impact we have got to share with the world. We've got to go out to the world and share it with everyone. I mean, we do that so well with all of the blessings of life, all the good things. We like to be influencers. We like to tell our friends about new restaurants or new life hacks or new clothes or new shoes or some new trick. We like to do that. The same should be so with our faith and our practice of it. People need what we have. They need the peace, the joy, the love, the hope that comes in a life wrapped up hopelessly entangled in Christ. Last week when we gathered here in worship, we remembered what Jesus said in Matthew, that you are the light of the world. Not you will be, not that you might be, not that possibly one day you could be, but that we are emphatically the light of the world. And I can remember as a child in Sunday school learning that old song, This Little Light of Mine. And remember that part where we talk about hiding under a bush? Oh no. You ought to sing that in Bible school. Watch the kids when they sing it, hiding under a bush. The no will echo this room and fill it with a sound that all the earth hears. And if our children so emphatically say that they will not hide their light under a bush, so must we too. We must go let that light shine. I'm going to let it shine, let it shine, let it shine so that all the world sees it. See, the King, Christ the King, commands us to go and to share that joy with all the world. And even in a time of social distancing in which we are being encouraged to stay within our own bubble, to not mix bubbles, that even with that, more now than any time ever in the history of the world, we have more tools and technology available to us that we can reach out and still connect with each other. Even when we are encouraged to love one another and keep each other safe, we can still reach out to each other and share that joy, share that message, and share our faith with others because the King commands it.
And so when we come to the throne of grace and we go to the world to share that faith, not only do we share it with our words, but we share it by our very lives, by our actions. I can remember on a mission trip with youth that we would gather around on Sunday evening and we would sit there and the adult leaders would all check in and we would talk about what the jobs were going to do for the week and we would meet the adult leaders from other groups and then we would also meet those that were running the mission camp where we were stationed. And we were kind of going around the room one day and someone was talking about how this was a mission trip in which we build relationships and we get to know people, all this. And I can remember one of the adult leaders raised his hand and says, look, I just need to tell you right now, I don't do touchy-feely. You could have heard a pin drop. I mean, that challenged the ethos of the group. I don't do touchy-feely. He says, Aunt Julia or whoever I'm going to work, we're going to work with, she doesn't need another friend. What she needs is a roof over her head that doesn't leak. She needs a home that is warm and dry. And so there was this tension in the moment where everyone was trying to figure out, like, wait a minute, what's about to happen here? This leader just challenged the ethos. But the reality, my brothers and sisters, it's a both and. Relationships are so important, but part of us showing the love of Christ is building those relationships, but the other part is to do the things that help people, to do the things that make a difference in their lives. So we go about building and sharing that relationship, but we also go to do and to lift each other up. We share with our words and our relationships, but we also share with our actions the activities of our hearts and our hands. Today's text, when Jesus separates the sheep and the goats as it is, and he says, blessed are you who do, and he lists his whole list of things, and woe unto you who don't. But the people say, when did we see you, Lord? And that's the key, my friends. When do we see our brothers and sisters in need? When are our hearts broken along the same fault lines that break God's heart? When are we moved to make a difference in the world around us because God calls us to do that? Because our hearts are convicted. Desmond Tutu wrote, it's not enough to pull people out of the river. I love what he said. He said, it's not enough to pull people out of the river. He says, we've got to go upstream and find out why people are falling in. See, my brothers and sisters, the call upon our lives to come to the throne of grace, to go to the world, is also to call to go and to do, to make a change in the world so that people don't fall in the river and float downstream in great despair. Because the king commands it. That is why. So on this, the Christ of King Sunday, I look around the sanctuary and I see images of the king of kings everywhere I turn. He's king above all the earth. Bigger than all things, bigger than one country, bigger than any political ideology, bigger than you or me. Ruler of the world. And the king on the heavenly throne calls us 
to come to Christ, to go to the world, and to do acts of love and kindness. Those are the king's demands. And as we do so, we will hear these words. Come you who are blessed, because friends, we are blessed. Come you who are blessed, take your inheritance, the kingdom of God laid out for you since the dawn of time. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen and amen. Thank you for listening to Heart, Soul, and Mind, the podcast from Centenary United Methodist Church. We hope that you'll consider joining us for worship on Wednesday evenings at 7 o'clock or Sunday mornings at 8.30, 9, or 11. Have a blessed day.